much horror business Driving late at night Psycho 78 12 o'clock Don't be late I said all this horror business Greetings and salutations My name is Justin Lore And I'm Liam O'Donnell And you are listening to episode 91 of Horror Business Horror Business and today we are talking about 1970s, 1973's American horror film Lamora, a.k.a. Lamora, A Child's Tale of the Supernatural, a.k.a. The Legendary Curse of Lamora, and a.k.a. Lamora, Lady Dracula. And then 1988's Paper House? Paper House. It's a dark fantasy. Yeah, yeah, dark fantasy. I think that's fair. These are weird movies. <laughs> so, Lamore, uh, I'll go ahead and say Paper House. Uh, um, yeah, it's it's one of those movies that people don't really think of as a horror movie, right? Um, there's some discussion about whether you would even consider it a horror movie. I, I, you know, I don't know that we've established any sort of rule or law or anything like that. But I think of dark fantasy films as basically horror movies you know how is this movie not a horror movie that's i looked you know i just i'm purely going off of uh when i say people say it's not a horror movie i'm only going off of um reviews on uh on letterboxd you know what i mean letterboxd but you know what i mean like that's where i'm getting some only because um there wasn't a long history of reviews that i could look at you know what i'm saying it wasn't yeah. like I could go like, oh, well, let me see what scholars over time have said about Paper House. Like, that's not a thing. But, um, I, you know, I did read, you know, yeah, let, let, let's go ahead and say our contemporaries. <laughs> you know, oh, you're the saying sense, they're saying that Paper House isn't a horror movie. Right. Oh, OK, because I was going to say, like, I thought you're talking about like Lamora. I was like, how is Lamora not a horror movie? No, no, no. I would say Lamora. And so, um you know, there, there's, it's a little bit, I don't know if you could say um, controversial per se, but there is a, a general vibe when I was reading what people had to say about Paper House that, it, you know, it's not a horror movie. Lamora, I feel like, is a little bit, again, maybe controversial isn't the word, but there's definitely some feeling from people about, like, what kind of movie it is. You know, it, it's, is this, uh, um, not that it's not a horror movie, but... Uh, is it just like crap? Like, you know, the original um, review by Letter Malton was like, this is basically just trash. This is trash. This is a trash movie. And to me, I don't think that's true. I think it's a bit of an art film. You know what I mean? Uh, I, I, anyway, point is, uh, Paper House was actually recommended by uh, one of our Patreons, uh, patrons, rather, uh, Sophia, who's great, by the way. Yes. And... Uh, she was like, oh, you know, I, I thought you guys might be interested in, in reviewing that, but she didn't have a, she hadn't paired it with anything in particular. And so seeing that Paper House is very much a, um, it's not a movie for children, but it is a movie about children, uh, that made me think of Lamore. Uh, yeah. and, I, and I think there's some similarities to both, though, um, though I think there's also obviously some large differences as well. We'll get there. Yeah, we will get there. But before we get there, we should let you guys know that this episode is brought to you by you, our patrons. 
without you, we would be doing this not just out of the love in our hearts for film, but out of our pockets. Like, we are eternally grateful that you open up your wallet and, you know, the moths fly out and you swap the moths away and then you take your money out of your wallet and I don't know how it gets to the internet and to us, you snap your fingers and it, I don't know, bursts into flames and then there's money <laughs> in like a checking account. Whatever weird process that Patreon does, we are glad that you give us money. So um, this episode is for you. All episodes are for you. And all episodes are by you. This episode is being brought to you by you. And we sure. are eternally grateful. I think that's fair. And I think, uh, you know, all of you listening, the many dozens <laughs> who uh, don't support us on, on Patreon, hey, think about it. Because the more support that we have, the more that we can expand, try new things, uh, offer new things, and maybe even put a little more time into creating the content that you crave and to be fair there is some great content up there already and we're hoping to do more in the future yes this episode is also brought to you by the premier screen printing company of the greater lehigh valley area lehigh valley apparel creations now let's say that you do a podcast called i don't know cinema smorgasbord Sure. And yeah, I could. I could imagine. You can that imagine happened. that. And you want to get shirts made for for your subsect of cinema smorgasbord. I don't know. You don't know Dick, but Dick Miller. I thought you were going to make up a fake one, and I was started thinking of fake ones, and I was like, "What actor could I do a podcast about that it wouldn't be too offensive if I called a podcast? Who gives a fuck about blah blah blah? Like, what if I was like, uh, uh, what's a good um, man?" Who's an, who's an actor? Who's an actor who's been in a ton of things that nobody cares about that person? Wings Hauser. Oh, but I love Wings Hauser. But you're right. If you had a podcast called Who Gives a Fuck About Wings Hauser? That, you know, I mean, granted, everyone should give a fuck about Wings Hauser. He's great. Mm. Okay. He's great, Justin. Don't you, so, you, you know what? Don't you flap your lip about Wings Hauser. So let's say that for Liam's podcast, Who Gives a Fuck About Wings Hauser? You need to get a T-shirt made. Where would you go to get that T-shirt made? The fine folks at Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. And why, why, why there? Why there? And why not? I don't know. Uh, T, like one of those you those online T-shirt companies that they make shirts to order. Like I see so Whoa. many fucking assholes going to fucking jerk offs. Don't go to T Public or Red Dot. Whatever the fuck, whoever it is that keeps emailing me, there is like a place that keeps emailing me, emailing me to handle merch for Cinepugs. Fuck and I them! Think, I think they want to do it because they think like, oh yeah, we're gonna get a cut of this merch, this sweet merch deal. And I don't have the heart to write the back and, and say, what? Where do you? I don't know what numbers you think we're doing here, buddy. <laughs> yeah, like what? Uh, yeah, but here's the thing. Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations, you should go there with your successful business because they are the perfect combination of professional and personable. No one will have the same level of working with you to get the best possible price 
get you the best possible design work and printing, but also be fun to talk to and fun to work with. There's just simply no place to go where you'll be treated like a human, but you can also trust the way that you can trust Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. Chris Reject won't get you implicated in a crime. Chris Reject has been struggling with a migraine for four days, and yet he spent an hour and a half helping me work out a bunch of, of supply issues for my company, Rough Cut Fan Club, that were all our fault, basically, because we kept switching the sorts of shirts we wanted to use. And so he went in to fix what was literally not my mistake. It was Justin's mistake, not this Justin, but Justin Miller. It was his mistake because he approved an invoice without actually looking at it. And and I said, don't do that. I've done that 10 times now. It always bites me in the butt. And so that's what happened is we had made, we had made a mistake. And Chris worked tirelessly mid-migraine to fix my mistake. Yeah, that's not really saying much. That That's like, uh, that's like giving someone a dollar for going under the speed limit. Like, Chris has had a migraine for four days. That's cool. I've been friends with Chris for 20 years. Like, where's, where's my commendation? Stop it. Stop it. Anyway. I love you, Chris. I love you, too. Anyway, if you want to get if you want to get a t-shirt made for your podcast or your band or your coffee company or your um fucking kimchi company or your donut company or whatever the fuck it is that you do in the spare time or your barbershop. What up, Paul? Your barbershop. You want if you want to get a t-shirt made, www.xlvacx.com. Um they are reasonably priced. They're good to work with, and they do a fucking great job. So I don't know what I, I don't know what what else you want from me. I don't know what else you want. <laughs> www.xlvacx.com. I wasn't aware people wanted so much from you. Hey, who, the who's whole our- world wants my fucking heart and my blood and one of my arms. I don't I don't know that that's true, but I will say that there is somebody who wants to support our podcast. Who's that, Justin? Wait, what? Essex Coffee Roasters. <laughs> oh yeah, Essex. I, I I was like caught off guard. I was trying to transition. I was trying to transition. I was trying to yes. do that sweet, do that sweet sweet transition deal. That's what I was trying. That's what I was trying to do. You know who won't complain about having a migraine for four hour four four days straight? The fine folks at Essex Coffee Roasters. <laughs> Here's the deal, guys. Essex wants to give you the freshest possible coffee that you can have. And so they uh, roast your coffee to order. They work with only the highest quality beans. And they'll get it to you as quickly as humanly possible. Uh, Not only that, they offer just an awesome variety of coffees, herbal teas, and sick merch. You want to go and work with Essex Coffee Roasters and really just, you know, Get some of the best coffee you can when you are ordering from Essex. If you enter in the code Cinepunks, C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, you're going to get 10% off your order. Look, not only are you going to get great coffee, it helps us out if you do it. So go use the code. The do coffee, it. just go. Okay, so I made this joke on Cinepunks. Not sure if I made it on hard business. I don't know. I'm going to make it again. Essex coffee, and mind you, I've never had Essex coffee, but this is how good it is. This is this is what this is what I've heard. Essex Coffee Roasters is so good that Angelo Badalamenti's character from Mulholland Drive would take a sip and not immediately spit it out into a napkin. That's how fucking good it is. So go get some. <laughs> 
That was a great endorsement. That was really good. That was a good endorsement to all four <laughs> of you who, who, who were going to get that. Oh, God. I'm sure if they listen to this podcast, they're probably going to get it, Justin. Yeah, I hope. Yeah, probably. Now comes the time where I'm too fucking tired and emotionally shredded to come up with something that even I consider clever, let alone anyone else. Or I ask Liam what he's done involving Har recently. <laughs> well, funny you should ask. Completely unprepared. I had no idea we would be doing this. And yet I still managed to watch a horror movie, Justin. Can you believe it? I, can, I don't believe can, it. Can you fucking believe it? Holy fuck. What movie did I, you watch? I watched a little movie called Alone. Huh? Oh, how was it? It's really good. Uh, this is on the recommendation of friend of the show, Justin Liberty. Uh, basically, here's the deal. Alone, what, what Alone is bringing to the table is it's a film about a woman who is kidnapped and then tries to escape in the midst of the woods. And what it manages to do, which I didn't think anyone could do anymore, is actually have a relatively believable scenario in which this would happen, uh, in which obviously patriarchy and her fears and the uh, attitudes of others towards her as a woman are part of the plot. So it's not what the movie's about, but it takes those relationships seriously and it works it into how it tells the story. And it does so in a relatively believable way that is also scary. I was just really starting to feel that the only fear we had left was in ridiculous shit, just over-the-top crazy shit, uh, supernatural stuff. This film manages to tell you this very small story, right? It's really just about a couple of people in a way that is believable and upsetting. And that is, it sounds like, okay, well, that's just obvious. But it's so not the vibe that anyone has been setting for, I think, a long time, years on end, that I think it is unique in its purity. In the fact that it's just a basic story about a woman trying to move who gets kidnapped and then has to escape. And it's very good. I thought it was, you know, maybe not like a top five for the year for me because I saw a lot of good movies this year, but definitely top ten. Did you ever, have you seen um, What Keeps You Alive? You know, I was just thinking about watching that recently. I have not seen it yet. It sounds very similar to what you're describing. Sure. I think What Keeps You Alive is, it's a couple though, right? Is that true? Yes. Yeah, this is, I mean, much like the, the, the name suggests, this is a woman traveling on her own. She's recently undergone a tragedy. Uh, she... The film does a very good job of having her interact with a man who is clearly undergoing some form of road rage. And it is unclear, right, if this man is like you go into the movie knowing this is a movie about a kidnapping. But the film does a very good job of making it unclear if this man is the scary man or if this is just a scary man. You know what I mean? Like that that it, it reminds you that this could be the psychotic person, right? Or it could just be any number of men in America who think it's okay to uh, harass a woman on the road. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I like that about the movie. And I think it, it, it is one of a few places where the movie reminds you that um, when you're in this situation of a woman 
trying to get help, that the fact that you are a woman is part of the problem. It's not just that this guy is scary. It's that people don't take women seriously, you know? And yeah. it doesn't it doesn't hammer that home. It's not what the movie's about, but having it be part of the plot in a film that is relatively realistic and does not go over the top. It doesn't completely not go over the top either. There's definitely some moments, but all those moments feel weighted and real because the movie takes itself seriously. And I like that. I'm not saying I don't love a movie that doesn't take itself seriously because, as you know, I like some pretty ridiculous things. But the way that this particular film took itself seriously made it feel unique. It made it feel different because it wasn't over the top, if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense. I also really tried to finish, but I have not yet finished, a little movie that I know I think you watched called... um, Oh, now the name has escaped me. Anything for... Jackson? Jackson, yes. I haven't gotten to finish it yet. I'm really, I really liked it so far. I was rushing to get it done before we recorded. And, you know, you guys know. The audience knows. I'm a dad. I got dad shit to do sometimes. And I was doing dad shit. I couldn't finish the movie. But I, I almost finished it. I liked it so far. I'm a big fan so far. Did you like this movie? Or were you kind of iffy on it? No, I, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um... One thing I really liked about it was that, like, it was it was the way I like a horror comedy to be if it's not going to be, like, Shaun of the Dead or an American War from London. That sure. Like, jokes that are delivered, like, straight-faced. Um, a lot of the humor comes from how the absurdity of the situation, whether it be, like, um, you know, the absurdity of, like, what these people are doing, which is also like as ridiculous as it is, it's also like um, important to remember that these people are doing this out of a sense of grief. So that sort of like cuts through the absurdity of it all. Um, And at no point is it like winking and nodding at the audience. Like the movie isn't necessarily in on the fact that it's ridiculous, which I like. Well, and I think it manages to make, um, it makes them, endearing and sympathetic without justifying their actions these are people who are in an unhealthy situation making a terrible mistake but you don't hate them you're not like ah, oh, these fuckers uh it's like uh, at least so far i i kind of get why they're doing it i wouldn't personally make some of the same decisions but it's you know they are endearing plus i think that with one of the things that the movie does which some people might not like, but I do like, is that it pivots a little bit, you know? Like, it starts off feeling like the movie might be more lighthearted than it is. Oh, yeah. And then it pivots to be like, oh, no, there are consequences to these actions, and those consequences are fucked. And I love that. I love that that sort of setup and then the unsettling of the audience's expectations. Oh, yeah. Um, it, I think it's only- really good. The only thing I didn't like about it, literally the one thing I didn't like about this movie was, um, so when they start seeing like some of the denizens of hell, uh, I didn't like the acrobatic twisty guy. Huh. Why not? Uh, I just think it's overdone. Like uh, crackly yeah, boned, yeah. like bending over backwards. It's just beat the shit. Like it's a trope that should have gone away like 15 years ago. And every time I see it, like I just get like taken out of the experience that being said 
the trick-or-treat ghosts in this movie are fucking horrifying. Like, yeah, I watched I, this movie like late at night, and when that one ghost came in, I was like, ah, I, I guess I'm pissing the bed because that ghost is in the hallway waiting for me. I mean, I will say I don't mind Bendy Guy so much, and I did appreciate the thematic element of Bendy Guy in yeah. that. Um, well, I don't want to. We're, we're we're really bordering. This is a newer movie, so I don't want to like well, no, okay. spoil anything for anyone. Ben, Bendy Guy was. I think it's the same actor who, if you've seen, I think it was the last season of Channel Zero, the sure. sci-fi. I I think Bendy Guy. Was it's the same actor who was in that, but weirdly enough, I thought that show used his particular set of skills effectively. Where in, in this this case, I was just like, ah, oh, okay, it's is this like 2011? Like, uh, is this a movie where like Gary Oldman plays like a rabbi? Yeah, which is weirdly specific. I'm talking about the movie Unborn. <laughs> I don't know why that came to my head. But yeah, but I. Anyways, all I want to say is I haven't gotten to finish it yet, unfortunately. But so far, I'm really in. I'm really in on the creepiness of it, on the humor of it being not a gag movie. You know. Yeah. Um, and how endearing I find our main characters, honestly. You know, I I I don't think much the way I don't buy the whole idea that you need endearing characters to enjoy a film. Like there's always someone who's like, oh, I didn't identify with any of the characters. I'm like, well, that's fine. You don't need to. It's not about yeah. you. On the other hand, you don't need to have your endearing characters make the right decisions the whole time. Like they can do bad things because most of the people who do bad things in the world actually seem to be not so bad until you find out what they did. Yes. <laughs> you know. So I like that aspect of it. That feels, uh, you know, a little bit more. Um, grounded in a way so anyways those are the two major horror things that i did i will say um i've managed to watch a couple of like kind of spooky things with mave mave is still riding high off of halloween so we've been watching uh nightmare on chris nightmare before christmas because it works for both you know it's like she's like oh it was a Halloween movie, but now it's a Christmas movie. <laughs> so that's that's kind of fun. Um, and then we've watched some other things. Uh, she did make me watch, I was telling Justin before we started, uh, Rise of the Guardians, which I didn't hate. And I think if you are someone who, um, well, I, I don't think most people would enjoy it who don't already enjoy kids' movies. Um, but if you are someone who has kids and you have to suffer through something with those kids, I would recommend it because... Uh, it, there's a way of looking at it that is, I think, kind of um, r- really dark, you know, uh, just in the way. Think about it. If, if you do end up watching it, there's an origin scene for Jack Frost that involves a pretty dark situation. And if you take his whole character in the in the light of that situation, I think the mythology of the movie where it goes is, is kind of neat and kind of actually relates to like kind of like darker subject matter and i like that that is there for adults to connect with but like no kid watching it is going to be like oh oh okay you know like i don't think that's there for them and so i i don't know i'd love to to uh if anyone you know ends up being forced to watch it with their kids and, and wants to chat about you know laughing in the face of death let's let's do that let's talk about that because i thought that was real cool otherwise you know it's fine it's fine i just i do think it's funny that like 
four it felt like four movies with guardian in the title came out at like the same time in the early 2010s and uh they, there's a lot of brand lack of brand recognition because when that movie came up and there was santa claus although i think they call him something else in the movie uh i was like wait i thought this was a movie about owls what's happening why is there Santa Claus? I don't understand. But, you know, if you want to get Maeve right now to watch anything, the other thing besides spooky stuff is Santa Claus. Anything we watch is basically spooky or Santa Claus. I, yeah, I mean, that's that's Christmas time. Yeah, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> All right. What about you, Justin? What have you done that's hard? Uh, I started to watch Peninsula, the Train to Busan film. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The sequel. Yeah, I turned it off after five minutes straight of Tokyo drifting. I just couldn't handle it anymore. There was a lot of Tokyo drifting? Yeah. Um <laughs> wait, wait, let's back this up a little bit. Do you have a have a problem with Tokyo drifting? No. When I'm watching Fast and Furious Tokyo Drift, I don't. But when mm. I'm watching mm. the sequel to a movie that was like a an very excellent scary, zombie film. Zombie movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a little ridiculous. Well, I mean, you know, there is a certain thing to say that, like, a lot of Korean movies kind of, like, mush together genres. But all the feedback I've heard from people who've watched the sequel is that it's pretty bad. So I yeah. honestly haven't rushed out to catch it, even though uh, Train to Busan is one of my favorite movies that came out that year. I think it's it's Train awesome. to Busan is great. Uh, Soul Station is also great. Yep. Um, no, this was just straight up, like... Uh, I don't know, like, it felt like a shitty heist movie. And, like, I was already kind of like, I don't really like where this is going. Like, the opening scene is kind of cool. Um, there's, like, a scene in the beginning where uh, there's, like, the there's like a room on a ship where these, like, people are being kept as they're being evacuated. And one person is infected. And in the process of, like, neutralizing him, just about everyone in the room gets bit. And then uh, when someone else comes in to, like, make sure they're, to, you know, they hear this fucking, they're like, there's a, we've got a situation in Sector 7G. They, like, run down there, and everyone in the room is, like, not quite turned, but not quite human. So it's like you're in a room full of, like, 100 people, and you're, like, they're seconds away from turning into these fucking ravenous animals. And it's just like it's it was like really quiet, too. It wasn't like I don't know. There was just something that I was like, OK, if the movie stays like this, if this is the tone that we're getting for this. And I know it wasn't because I watched the fucking trailer. I was like, but if the movie stays this level of like. Like subdued, quiet horror, I'm, I'm really going to like this movie. Unfortunately, it definitely throws out the subdued in favor of um, Tokyo drifting while being chased by. um whatever these things are. Hmm. Yeah. That doesn't sound great. No. Uh, but I also watched to completion, a film that is getting like a lot of like, uh, a lot of attention. A little movie called freaky. Oh, sure. I've heard good things and I've heard bad things to fill me in. What did you think? Uh, I wasn't nuts about it. I mean, it's like, okay. Vince Vaughn is an actor who's capable of delivering like really good performances, but he's also an actor who tends to, de- to deliver the same performance, which is his character from old school. And sure. That was like, like this performance was just that. Um, right. 
but like look at me i'm talking like a teenage girl but i'm like six foot three and also i kill people and it was like the shtick got really old really fast like the whole idea of like oh it's a girl who doesn't you know, in a man's body, okay, uh, she can pee standing up, yay. Like, there was so much of that that I was just like, I don't fucking, you know, like, I don't really need this. And then it's nothing against the actress who played, or the actor who played the the protagonist. She was Castiel's daughter on Supernatural, or Jimmy Novak's daughter on Supernatural, if that makes any sense to anybody. Um, that's what I knew her from. Like, She's fine, but the problem with the movie is if you're if you're doing a scenario like this, you should have an actor who's like very capable, and you should have two very distinct, well fleshed out personalities, a la Nick Cage in Face Off. This movie was like the serial killer doesn't have enough of a distinct personality to really be like, okay, that's what they're playing now. Like when when the actor was playing the serial killer. It was just like, she's just sort of like scowling at people and smirking evilly. Like that was her level of, that's, that was the serial killer character for her. And I was just like, not that I want some fucking Daniel Day-Lewis performance from this, but like, I don't know. Like I want to be afraid, like I want to be, like I want to see a serial killer in a teenage girl's body and I wasn't seeing that. Like I was just seeing like a snotty teenage girl who would occasionally like, uh, fucking chop someone's head off with an axe. And it, I don't know, it just like, it was okay, but I just didn't, I, I like, there was no, I, I didn't feel invested in anything in the movie. Like when the whole thing is like, if we don't get him back by midnight, she's stuck in that body forever. Wah! I just didn't give a fuck. They're like, it's 11.58. And I was, oh, cool. That means we have five more minutes left of this movie. Great. Let's fucking, let's, let's get, let's go, let's just, Let's go. Let's get through it, and we can just go, get on with our lives. Um, That's such a shame because I feel like the the this is the person who did Happy Death Day, right? Yes, which are two amazing films. Yeah, they're both so good. It's such a shame, but you're not the first person I heard to say this that like Vince Vaughn isn't really. I mean, I, I'll be honest. If if I'm ex, if I'm gonna trust an older male actor to embody a teenage girl. Uh, and really make me believe that that is who is supposed supposedly you know inhabiting his body. I don't know that I trust Vince Vaughn, and it, and it's not about his acting ability; it's about how unwilling he is to actually identify with a teenage girl as a human being. There's that, yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, of course, his performance is going to be shallow. He doesn't think there's anything more there to portray. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's uh, you know, that's a bummer. You know, but. Whatever. I mean, I'm sure I'll catch it at some point, despite hearing now multiple negative things from people I trust, just because I like that director and I want to know for myself. But uh, yeah, I, you know, a few people I've seen really love it, but I've also seen just as many people say it was kind of a letdown. Well, I mean, there's a few people I've seen who liked it who are not as like uptight as I am about movies. Like people who can just put something on and enjoy it for what it is, which I envy. Because I wish, I say that's what I do, but a lot of times I can't do that. Like, I try to be like a Roger Ebert-esque observer of and consumer of films, but I fail utterly in doing that. And this is a case of me like just being like, okay, this is what this movie is. Um, I shouldn't have any expectations. I should just go in and watch this movie 
and take it for what it is. And instead, I injected my own bullshit into this movie. And that's on me. I guess. I don't think that's true. But I, you know, if that's how you want to feel about it, that's fine. That's all I've done involving Har recently. Oh, that's it. did oh. I also, um, did, did I talk about um, on the last episode, the Max Brooks book, The Evolution? I don't think so, no. Oh, um, well, it's getting made into a feature film, so I guess it's like worth bringing up. Um, you, are you familiar with Max Brooks? He's like Mel Brooks's kid. I mean, he, wrote, he, did, like, he did World War Z and the yes. sequel. Yep. Yeah, 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 I know. So he wrote this book that was like a fictional account of an investigation of a Sasquatch attack at the base of Mount Rainier back in 2009. Now, if you're telling yourself... That's weird. I don't remember hearing about a Sasquatch attack back in 2009. You're right. There wasn't one. But this is like Max Brooks. So it's like he makes this detailed account up and inter- quote unquote interviews survivors or the families of the families of these people who live in this town. And it's fucking terrifying. Because like it's interspersed with like um, like eyewitness accounts from like old journals of like trappers and shit like that. Um, and all these like uh, anecdotes about like fucking Bigfoot like kidnapping children. And there's like a whole section where they talk about with, uh, you know, Jane Good. They take an excerpt from like a Jane Goodall book on like chimpanzees and how like, um, like they're the closest to us. And they're also like the most bloodthirsty primate out there aside from people. And just all these like weird things like that make you think like uh, that the whole idea of like, a, you know, the more evolved quote unquote something is, the more peaceful it is, is like utter and complete bullshit. And it's oftentimes the exact opposite. Like the more evolved something is and the closer it is to a person, the more dangerous it is. And that's the, the whole drive of this book is that like, uh, Bigfoot was once this seclusive creature, but put under massive strain because of a fucking volcano eruption, it's devolved into like, well, I don't give a fuck if people see me. Like, I need to eat, so I'm just going to attack this this small town, and uh, it's me or them. And it's just fucking chilling. It's, it's super creepy. Um, the way it's written, uh, a lot of the imagery, there's like maps involved, and I, I, I really hope that they make like a, a like a really awesome movie out of it. I'm pretty stoked on that. Yeah, it's it just it just proves what I've been fucking screaming about for years now that there are cases of Bigfoot harming a person. It's not he's not the peaceful old man in the woods. We know this. We've done several big Bigfoot behaving badly films. This is why I think you wouldn't like uh, Rise of the Guardians because in it. Um, the elves at Santa's workshop are useless and all the actual work is done by yetis. And they like protect Santa's workshop and they're like his personal army, but they also build all the toys. And the elves are just these like little mini things that don't do anything and are kind of brainless. Well, in, in that specific case, I side with the yeti because Santa Claus is clearly an evil capitalist and the yeti, the yetis are the proletariat who have nothing to lose but their chains. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. Yeah. All right. So I guess we're going to take a quick break. Um, And when we come back, we're going to talk about 1972's. Oh, man. I was going to try to sing it like the style of Erasure's uh, Lenore or Lamore, 
but I can't sing, so I'm not going to. We're going to talk about Lamora. Oh, Lamor. We'll be right Little back. Girl, <laughs> where are you hiding? If you don't come out, I'll get Lamora. Little girl, where are you? Your little girlie's run off. Run off? You stupid idiot, you let her run off. I'm Lamora. That escape was very clever of you. Now, go up into your room and get dressed in the clothes I've laid out. It's the first open door at the end of the hall. Lila. Did I frighten you, Lila? I'm sorry. The mirror is broken, but you can see how lovely you are in my eyes. you really think you could escape so easily? The further you thought you were getting away from me, the closer you came. You never had a chance. Each one of your moves has been directed from the very beginning, like a chess game. And we are back to talk about 1972's Lamora. Now... Here's what I realized. Both of these movies are allegories. Sure. For bad parenting. <laughs> well, I think um you know we we talked I, did we t- this was before the the show started or we talked on the show about the Catholic Church censoring this film. I think that was before we started. So for those of you who don't know, uh, not only did this movie have a very limited theatrical run and not make hardly any money and basically leave its uh, writer, director, and not star, but he had a pretty big role in it, uh, obscure and and penniless, Um, it also was officially... uh, uh, Anyways, the Catholic Church got pissed because they saw it as an anti-religion movie. And when... 
you you brought that up and I had read that and I thought, well, that seems silly because nobody saw this movie. So why do you even care? Um, the more I think about the movie, though, I mean, the, it, it really is a movie in which the entire world wants something from this. Uh, let's use innocent in quotations, young woman. Right. OK. Um, simply because uh, so I say innocent. Let's say let's say what the world would describe as innocent. The whole world wants something from her. And um, that includes uh, Lamora, uh, but uh, eventually it becomes clear that the the only person who is offering her something that also empowers her is also Lamora. You know what I mean? And that relationship is so sapphic and so related to um, rejecting traditional morality and instead accepting some sort of like libertine. Uh, uh, satanic temple-esque sort of deal that uh, the more I thought about it, the more I thought like, oh, someone at the Catholic Church was actually paying attention because in a way, the movie is about that. You know what I mean? Like, in a way, the movie is really about like rejecting um, this uh, phallic kind of uh, patriarchal rape culture and instead living forever with uh, lesbian love queen. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, I, I that uh, in a way, her her dad, who's bad. Don't get me wrong; she is a bad dad. He's also irrelevant. He doesn't matter. He's just another untrustworthy penis in the movie. Yeah, that was my biggest problem with this movie. Is like, like when her dad shows up, it's like you you're expecting like, oh shit! Like all this little girl wants to see is her dad, and then like when you finally see him. It's just like, who gives a shit? I don't know. Like, I, I see I, that's I felt- one of my that's actually one of my favorite parts of the movie <laughs> because it's it's a reminder that she, to to me at least, the the dad never mattered. She's reaching out to him because she wants some sense of connection and stability, but in reality, he was never important. She also wants to escape. I think the the the, the film the, the suggestion in the film that everyone has about her that she's so innocent, she's just an angel. I think the film says that verbally and then subjugates that again and again and again. That actually there's no reason for everyone to think she's so innocent and so angelic. They just put that on her because she's a young white girl. Yeah. That's 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 they're just that's just their assumption, you know. And I, I you know, I don't want to push too hard on the f- you know, uh quote unquote feminist aspects of the movie because it was written and directed by a man, whatever. But I do think there's a sense in which this man very much either intentionally or unintentionally uh quite uh, vividly animates a world that just wants to devour this girl. Human and monster alike, men want one thing from her alone. I won't say it, but I know what you're talking about. I'm just saying, you know, like, she's not even safe. I mean, part of her desire to be with her father is that she's not safe with this past, you know, like, uh, again, it's not that the the pastor. So so we we haven't really gotten much into the details of this movie. There's a young girl. Her father is a famous gangster. He's on the run. She lives with a local preacher, and the preacher sort of holds her up as a paragon of virtue. 
and publicly. He's like her public, she is his public uh, lesson. He teaches, he uses her as an object lesson for his congregation, basically. And he's not alone. The whole community has lifted her up. Uh, in contrast to her evil, wicked father. And she gets word from Lamora that she has uh, her father, and she decides it would be, you know, good to go and, and reconcile with this with her father and let her father know that she forgives him, which, by the way, I think is intentional. I think we're supposed to say, well, why do you need to tell him that? You know what I mean? Like, I think that's meant as a criticism of Christianity specifically. And so she goes to see Lamora knowing that that's not what people want from her. Uh, she lies and and sort of uh, subterfuges to get to this bus stop. All along the way, men have ill intentions towards her and treat her awkwardly. We find out that the pastor is the same. Uh, he has sex thoughts about her that he blames her for. She at least pretends to have no idea what's going on. She gets to where Lamora is, and um, the whole town is overrun with these weird beasts. And Lamora, it turns out, is a vampire with a whole army of vampires. And everybody wants uh, uh, this young girl so much that the vampires and the, the beasts go to war over her. Um, and everyone is just freaking out and killing each other. And uh, only Lamora survives this battle and uh, offers her eternal life, and she takes it. And then uh, when the pastor finally shows up to save her, she's now a full vampire uh, and uh, and attacks him, and that's the end of the movie. So that's the movie. That's that's what the movie's about. It's worth noting the name of the town that they're... You, you said it's... It might be a, a critique against Christianity. I believe that's what you said. I did. It's interesting that the name of the town they go to is Astaroth. And right. if that set up a, a flag for you um, and it sounds familiar, that's because Astaroth is a it's like one of the more popular demons um, in like pop culture. Like they always use like Lucifer or the other one or Astaroth. Oh yeah, like Beelzebub or I just, I, I mean, at, at first when I was first watching this movie, when that name came up, I thought I, I thought they were saying like Azagoth, like the Lovecraft thing. Sure. I got like I got like super excited, but um, I mean, I also think that the fact that they're going to a town that's named after this like great demon is not an accident, and maybe even a little heavy-handed when it comes to, like critiquing like oh the, sure uh, sure 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 the uptight purity is not the word I'm looking for, but it'll have to do like the the the, the way that the way that Christianity demands that we live our lives right. Um, I don't think it's an accident that. She's going towards this town that's named after this uh, this great demon, right? And and that you know the the at a certain point, it feels like Lamora, good or bad, is her only refuge from a world that wants to consume her. Yeah. Literally, at that point, it was metaphorical at first. But now it's become literal. Everyone yeah, because, literally like, wants to consume. Because, her. like, like, like you said, like, um, the minister that she lived with has ill intentions. That's clear. And then, like, every other person in this town is either like a horrifying, like, mutant person, um, like weird, cackling children, or like hags. And then there's Lamora. 
She's like the, she she really is like the the only one who has, including her father. She really is the only one who has like any sort of um, pretense to uh to, to to good intent towards uh Lila or Lila. It's true, and um, okay. So uh, a little bit about the background of this movie, y'all. This is a movie, unsurprisingly, made by a film student, in which uh that person also stars in the movie as uh the the preacher and in which he uh, you know the his assistant director and half of his sta- his uh crew had to be fired a week in because they tried to like pull a coup and and steal the whole movie away from him and take it over so uh it's a troubled production and i don't think he's a subtle filmmaker when it comes to choices like you pointed out Justin Astaroth, you know, like that's that's a decision you make uh, because you're like, you know, a, a high 20 something. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. That being said, what I think is a shame is that he didn't direct more after this, because while I think the script itself is heavy handed, though, some of the decisions he makes in the movie, lighting, set design, pacing, uh, slow motion, the movie, I think, is surprisingly haunting for a first-time director working on a less-than-shoestring budget with mostly um, unprofessional actors, many of whom were very high during production. <laughs> uh, he manages to make something that, for me, it works with our next movie in that it is a haunting fairy tale. It is a dark a narrative and you know you got to be in the mood for it it's not an exciting movie um but i find it surprisingly effective and um i i think it is a if you're the sort of person like justin sort of uh kind of wished he wasn't and i take great pride in who likes to overthink my art i actually think there's a lot here to think about even not the more heavy-handed decisions like you know like we've already talked about but i think there's sort of subtle stuff going on here that intended or no would be interesting place to like think about stuff you know it's like a fertile i I find it a fertile ground to think about religion and sexuality and coming of age and our fear of children you know like to what extent is so, for in case it wasn't clear, Lamora is the this Lady Dracula, basically. <laughs> yeah. But our main character, what is her name again? Is Lilla. It? Lilla. Yeah. Anyways, um, there's a sense in which she's becoming herself, right? But she's also continually lifted up by the community, and there's a way. Again, I don't know how much this dude thought about this, but there's a way in which being the symbol for the community of both holiness and vice is, I think, very instructive. It's very instructive for the way that we treat these people. Uh, you know, it, anyone who's read any sort of critical theory or maybe um, uh, certain kinds of like uh, continental philosophy, you might know like there's a lot of talk around the abject person, you know, the person whose humanity has to be devalued so that we can exploit them for various purposes, right? But the other end of that is the sort of sovereign figure that um, that the the king or the holy person is the 
embodiment of things so that we have someone who represents both the good and then the bad. So like if we murder them, then we've fixed everything. You know what I mean? Like all you have to do is kill the king and then all of your problems are gone because you killed the king. So therefore we're in a new world now, you know, it, it, in the same sense, like she, this young girl is the focus of this community's holiness and sin because through being the child of her father, and being this like story of redemption, they get to uh, both uh, ogle her as this like church girl, but then also uh, scandal be scandalized by her father. You know what I mean? She's she's both uh, Madonna and whore. You know what I'm saying? And there's something about that that again, I don't know how intentional it was, but I think it's really interesting to think about how that plays out and how part of the what's crazy is she chooses this seduction from Lamora, it is her only like agency. I mean, she kind of has agency when she runs to see her father, but even that is about giving up power to her father, ceding her personal authority and her personal being to her father. The only time she makes a decision for her is to give herself to Lamora. I think there's something like really interesting about that, you know, in a movie that I think is also entertaining enough that I like watching it. I'm not just like, oh, I got to get through this because it's it's interesting. Like I, I do find it engaging as a film uh, and kind of haunting as a film as well. Interesting. I... Uh... I don't know. I didn't hate this movie, but I wasn't. It, it, it didn't grab me like that. Um, I thought it was fine. Uh, I thought the story was, like you said, it's like a dark fairy tale. That really is the best way to describe it. Like there's this almost archetypical story of this like young. Although like, I don't know how to say this without sounding like kind of fucked up and sexist, but like. This story has been told before, but it's always like a young sure. man on this like quest for discovery. Right. Um, and then being seduced or, you know, whatever, like threatened with some sort of impure imperfection trying to ruin his virtue. I, I did appreciate some of the themes that were there. I just, I don't know, like nothing about this movie really grabbed me and I didn't find it really all that compelling. Sometimes it's like we're from two different worlds. Hey, that's fine. That's yeah. that's I mean honestly my biggest disappointment with this movie was that when you when you texted me the name of it I thought you were misspelling Lemuria and I got really excited because when I looked it up on Google it was like blah 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 vampires and I was like in Astroth and I was like okay and then I was like oh it's it's not about Lemuria damn it well womp womp shit I mean it's fine like we've definitely done worse movies on on, on this show before, um, and it, you know there's a lot to unpack with this with the, with this movie, so I'll give it credit for that for like being like intentional or not like layered, which is more than you can say about a lot of the movies we've talked about on the show. Um, I just I, I just I don't think anything was done with this movie that I hadn't seen before done better. I guess. Hmm, that's interesting. So, what would you say is a better example for you? Uh, the next movie we saw, we're going to talk about. <laughs> that's interesting. I enjoy the next movie. Um, I think it's pretty good, and we're going to get into that. I would, I much prefer this. Interesting. In in in, in a lot of different ways, and that's no offense to Sophia. No no offense. No offense. But uh, Lamora is like, I don't know. I don't. It, well, so I do think there's some. 
aesthetic things going on here. Like Lamora to me kind of feels in some ways like the American version of like a Jean Rolin film. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, or even some like Jess Franco movies, you know? Uh, yeah. I, I guess a little less unnecessarily nude, which I guess is what most people watch genre lead movies for. But in the sense of it's like very kind of like haunting and slow and whatever. I think it has some of that, even though it's very kind of like Americana. I also think it's like weirdly good at being a, like if you if anyone out there is thinking about making a very low budget movie, the thing you want to avoid is being a period piece. Everyone should avoid being a period piece. It's hard to pull off period piece without money. Uh, this movie does that pretty damn good. No, actually. I, I was I was actually going to say for for some reason I can't quite pin down. I think the fact that this takes place like what in like the twenties or thirties. Yep. For some reason, that is like very befitting of this movie. I don't know why, but something about that time period. I'm like, oh no, this this is this is perfect for that. Well, I think part of it is, so uh, uh, part of the point here is that um, in order for the movie to work, um, it can't be that Lamora is secretly good. You know what I mean? Sometimes when a movie makes the decisions that this movie makes, what happens is the bad guy is secretly good and all the good guys are secretly bad. In order for the movie to work, Lamora has to also be bad. And our main character, uh, she has to choose the bad thing in order for the movie to accomplish what I think they're trying to accomplish. Right. And so despite whatever freedom or liberation or hope that Lamora offers her, the reality is Lamora has single handedly destroyed this town. This town is gone. It will no longer exist. It will cease to be. And I think setting it in this time, which again, I think it's supposed to be the thirties, right? Yeah. Well, that's fitting because you know what happened to a lot of towns in the 30s? They went away. They stopped being. They just died on the vine. It's actually that 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 aspect of like like a ghost town is and it's weird that it's about vampires is one of the few things that I I don't like about Salem's Lot is that Salem's Lot just like disappears and it's like not a big deal and it's like yeah, but this is the fucking like the seventies. You know what I mean? This is right. it's in Maine, like three hours from fucking Boston. This isn't. I I I think that might be it about this movie is that like this is the time when shit just like vanished, like shit was just yeah. gone. Yeah. If if you if you were gonna wander around at another part time, right? Like. If you in the 80s discovered an abandoned town in the desert, guess when it was abandoned? You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that there's something really believable about this. Like, It needs to be modern enough that there are some kind of cars. You know what I mean? Some sort of vehicles. But long enough ago that you believe that people don't really know what's going on. And that yeah. the fact, you know, the fact that her dad is a gangster is like news. You know what I mean? Like, in a more modern context, she wouldn't be that well known, you know, unless she was like on TV or something. You know, th- this is a world where people are connected and there's a certain amount of like modern respectability, but it's not, 
they don't have the full technological you know it's it's not there's no television there's not really like reliable mass media you know what i mean so anyways that aspect of it really works for me to feel like this kind of like weird nightmare i mean honestly it's such a weird nightmare world that that the movie is set in uh, if at uh, if at one point like Hellboy had shown up to fight Lamora, I would have been like, "Yeah, that tracks, man. That's right." Yeah, this is this is definitely like uh, that is actually the perfect description. That this feels like a fucking Magnola comic. Oh, one hundred percent. Actually, uh, yeah, this feels like something like not quite Hellboy, but like what's his face? Um, oh God damn it! Johann Strauss would show up and investigate. Oh, oh yeah. This is a BPRD side story. Yeah, what, yeah. That, that's that's what this feels like. With the, you know, especially like, like. God damn it, Liam! Now you made me want to read BPRD again. Bro, you should have never stopped. It's still good. Is it still ongoing? Oh yeah. Even Hellboy, they fucking killed Hellboy, and they're still Hellboy because they're just filling in all of the backstory, and okay. then there's new Johns of BPRD stuff. Yeah, it's there's still stuff yeah, going on. It's that's okay. That that is the missing that is that is the thing I was trying to put my finger on when it came to what how how this movie feels is like Lamora feels like a primordial goddess that symbolizes some kind of drive and hunger. That is what I that 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 is that is what I want to say about this movie. Yeah, I I'll I'll agree with that. I'll go ahead and say that that I feel like that's true. And I'll and I you know, so to, just to just to sort of cap it off before we go to the next movie, I think it's a very American gothic kind of movie. It's a yes. sort of movie where before there was actual records and people could just go out to IMDb and check. Everybody thought this movie was filmed in the South. There's there's even like collections of southern movies that include this movie. This was made in California, like driving distance from Los Angeles, you know, but because it gets that vibe so fucking good that people just oh yeah it's a southern it's a southern gothic you know it's 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 not that at all but i get why people thought that it's not a weird thing that people got that vibe so if you're like yeah i want something that like has the pacing and atmosphere of a european you know uh sort of uh horror film but is still rooted in a kind of americana and i would argue an, an american religiosity you know in it's in its uh baptistness uh of it uh i think it's cool i think it's a cool movie but again i'm not surprised if people are like oh i don't know it kind of wasn't that great like uh, I, i'm not offended that that people might find it a little off-putting in its um in in, in certain aspects yeah no, I could, I get that. All right. I guess we should take a break and talk about the next movie. Yeah. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about 1988's British dark fantasy film, Paper House. We'll be right back. The Fence. The Gate. The door. The stairway. The boy. The fine line drawn. 
between the walls of reality and the edges of the imagination. yourself in the paper house. And we are back to talk about 1988's British dark fantasy film directed by Bernard Rose, based on the 1958 novel Marian Dreams by Catherine Starr. Paper House is a story about a girl suffering from glandular fever, which I don't know what glandular fever is. But it sounds it sounds serious. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I will start this off and say up front, I was not feeling this movie until she... I don't know what it was about the fact that she wanted to draw her father into her dream, and she accidentally drew him with a pissed-off expression. So therefore, when he entered her dream, he was angry. There was something about that that for a second I was like, am I dreaming right now? And this is a movie I'm watching in a dream that's scaring me. There's just something about that that so perfectly nails the logic of children. Right. That yes. kind of like kind of put me in that mind frame of a child. Uh, that I, I just, it, I, I don't know, it was just super effective. And from that point on, I was like, okay, this movie is getting under my skin in a way that I, I, I didn't see coming at all. Well, and I think that's it. Um, that's what kind of works for about it for me, you know. Like, I'm okay with the the way the movie starts, and I think it gets accused. I'd say accused. That's not fair, but um, people who don't think this is a horror movie say that because it starts off feeling very much like a family drama with a little bit of like uh, you know magical realism thing going on with the with the dream sequence stuff, you know. Um, and it doesn't feel it doesn't at first at least have that sense of menace. But I think that functions in the movie as a motherfucking bait and switch. You know what I mean? That it's like, oh, yeah, we're going to start off with this dream and it's a little quirky, but it's fine. And by the time we get to the dark shit, you've been eased into a boiling pot. And before you know it, the nightmare imagery is way more nightmare than you'd think with these kids as the main characters and all of the like child themes going on. Um, it, it seems like it should all be just at a certain level and it just goes a little past that. And then even how it ends up is like a bit deeper and more engaging than I expect. And is related to like, you know, 
underlying family stuff. You know, like I, if I was one of those people, I'm not one of those people who like watches a movie. I, I can watch a movie, let's say like like with the movie we just discussed, Lamora. I can watch a movie and come up with all kinds of like theoretical stuff related to like sex and gender and whatever, whatever. I'm not a conspiracy theory dude though. So when someone says about a movie like, oh, it's this, but it's actually about child abuse. I never like get that. I'm like, well, okay. Okay, sure, but I don't know if that's for. If you wanted to tell me this movie is actually about something much darker, I would one hundred percent believe you because this movie has a lot roiling under the surface that gets under your fucking skin. Yes. <laughs> uh, you know, you know, like uh, an example of what I'm talking about is like if someone's, you know, one of the big theories is that um, my never Tortoro is actually about like child murder. You know, I don't know if you wait. Know what was that. about child murder? My Neighbor Tortoro. Okay. Those of you who are Miyazaki people, go look up My Neighbor Tortoro and Child Murder, and uh, and uh, it'll ruin it'll ruin your night. But check it out. Point is that functions more like a conspiracy theory. Yeah, this is what Miyazaki says it's about, but I can tell that it's actually about this. You know what I mean? Um, I don't like that game. With this movie though, if you were like, I don't know, I think that dad did something fucked up. That that this daughter hasn't quite connected with yet. I'm like, I don't know, baby. I don't know. It's uh, just... No, I'm gonna I'm <sighs> gonna go a step ahead and say there's no way, there's no way that isn't the case. How the fuck right? isn't that the case? Right, right. It's it's oh man, it's the it's one of the few movies I think that like you could just sit around being like, do you think this is what's really going on here? And it's like totally viable. I don't feel like a crazy person having that conversation. No, uh. Dude, the fucking scene when she looks out the window and she sees her father standing on the horizon in silhouette, that is going to oh, give God. me fucking nightmares. And then, like, when he carries her away and then Mark is, like, dragging himself. Like, ugh, I guess just so we can, like, put it out there, like, this is about sexual abuse, right? It's It's got to be, right? It like, has you know, to be. It's Okay, it's not directly about that. Let's just name up front. This is a movie that you could read as about loss, sure, and death, you know, but more about, like, how children relate to those themes. But there's so much weird shit here that if you're like, it's also about sexual abuse, I would be like, yes. Yes, it is. You're right. Yeah. It's true. It's 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 about that. So just because, like, <sighs> the, way, the way her father acts in the dream is, like, the way a little kid would imagine, like, would, like, compartmentalize the reality of who they want their father to be. Or they would compartmentalize who they want their father to be away from the reality of what their father was. And the reality of what their father was would be the monstrous, uh, horrifying fucking ogre that was doing this unspeakable shit to them. And then, like, later in this movie, when the dad just comes back and he's, like, you know, sober and he's like a good guy again. You're like, no, that's also a dream. There's that's also like, 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 like a, like a manifestation of like, of, of, of how she wants her father to be. She wants the archetypical good guy, dad, not this fucking beast that's dragging her away to this like glowing chasm in the earth. I just, I was like, I was watching this and I was like, there's no way there is no way. That's not what this movie is saying. Also, fucking glandular fever, that's puberty. Yeah, also she almost jumps off a cliff. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> to be to be with her dead dream lover. <laughs> There's just a lot. Okay, it, this movie does a very good job. So there's a kind of movie 
that's about children and children's wants and desires that's like it feels fucked up and it gets accused of like weird pedophile stuff right but then there's like a movie uh, especially and i feel like british people are able to pull this off that's very much about children's wants and desires that you don't feel like is some creepy weird thing it just feels very visceral and real and that's what this movie is is that like you know this girl is not sexual she's not trying to bang dream boy or something weird like that but she's definitely attached to him and it's definitely related to her coming of age and going through puberty so it is about attachment and sexuality but not about some sort of crass like uh she's you know this isn't an episode of big mouth you know no one's getting a handy it's just no it's just about that connection you feel when you're figuring out who you are but because of that the haunting menace of the debt because we're in this very sort of um, sexualized environment. Again, n- don't be crass about that. No, it's not. You know what I mean? It's it's about that feeling you have. You're coming of age. You know, there's a promise there. There's something there. There's a desire there, but it's not a literal thing yet. You don't know what it is yet. That makes the menace of the dad. You're like, he's he definitely abused her when he was drunk, right? Like, so uh, the other thing we haven't quite said, but she says in, in the movie, she there's a couple lines about she likes dad better when he's not drinking, you know? And then she has such a, a fear of him that it's really hard not to be like, well, he must have been really bad when he was drunk because this has left some scars. Well, it, it kind of reminds me of, um, well, also, I want to say that her relationship with Mark is so perfectly childlike that it was almost like this is like it's just I don't want to say it's adorable because it's so much more than that it's it's like it's very like searing I guess is the only like it's it's very like holy fuck that's real that's exactly how 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 a a kid would act now the way she talks about her dad is the way it reminded me a lot of how um, Danny Torrance talks about his father in The Shining, in which it's like, right. um, I know my dad is a good person. I believe my dad is a good person, except when he's drunk and then he, you know, breaks my arm and beats the fuck out of my mother. But I still love him. Like, that's how this movie, There, that's like, I think what is like really sad about this movie is like, even though her father is clearly a beast, she still is like, yeah, but that beast isn't who my my dad actually is. Like my dad is actually the good guy, and this monster is like not who he actually is. And I love him for who he actually is. Like that's like again, that is a childlike logic that is like fucking tragic. It's sad. Right, one hundred percent. I don't know. This movie just like fucking haunted me in a way that I that that I I didn't see coming at all. Yeah, it's really. I mean, again, I I I, I name that Lamour is a little bit more my speed, but that doesn't mean I just really like Lamour. <laughs> That's not a knock on this film. Um, I think this is very good, and I loved the way that it do, it isn't dark right away. It doesn't have. I mean, there's foreshadowing, but it doesn't have foreshadowing into the level of upset you're going to feel. Let alone the emotions it gets to. So it's not just that the nightmare imagery of this movie is more visceral than you expect or that there's more kind of like psychologically going on under the surface, though there is a lot of that. There's also this thing where like by the time it wraps up, it's more cathartic and emotional than I was expecting to feel in a movie where 
you know, the two characters we care about are children and one of them might not be real. You know what I mean? Like I, I wasn't expecting to have that level of like caring, but it, it's effective in that way. And and it really, um, I, I somewhat suspect, you know, obviously people who want to say this isn't a horror movie are just in my mind wrong, but part of that might be motivated actually by how successful it is also as a drama in an emotional sense. You know what I mean? Like that people yeah. aren't expecting to have this kind of emotional catharsis when watching a horror movie. Yeah, no, I, I feel you on that. I, yeah, it just, uh, I don't know. Like also I didn't that... find either one of these kids annoying, which is like so rare. No. In yeah. Itself. Like despite the fact that I, I, I didn't love Lamora, I, I didn't find like, I, I, like a lot of times, like child actors, I'm like, just fucking throw that kid off the cliff or into a smokehouse or something like that. Like, just get him out of there. Like, yeah, the girl in this movie was like bratty, but it was the way you're like, oh no, of course she's bratty. She's 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 11. Like, that's right. par for the course. And yeah, I don't, I, I just I, like it was just it just nailed dream logic in a way that a lot of movies try and fail spectacularly at, where this movie didn't even have to try that hard to hit out of the park. Right. Also, the, the, the stones circling the house, I didn't, I didn't like that. That, 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 that freaked right. me out. Yeah, 100%. It was very spooky. It was very, it was very spooky. Well, no, it just I made me... Had th- this, I had this visceral fear when she goes to the real lighthouse that the door was going to open and something terrible was going to come out. Right? Because like, why the fuck really would that, that happen? All right, well, I guess that's it for Paper House, and I guess that's the episode. Um, I mean, I will say with Paper House, y'all, like, you know, it, it isn't a traditional horror movie. So, you know, don't go in being like, oh, this is good. It's, it, is, it is in many ways unexpected. And so, um, you know, I, I do like to prepare people. I don't want you to think like, oh, Justin Liam said that Paper House is a real fucking scary. Whatever. It's not that. It's, it's, it's because you don't expect it, and I didn't expect it, that the parts that I did find very visceral are that much more so, you know? It's like yeah. uh, it's like your ice cream is spicy. It, it, it's like the spiciest ice cream in the world to you, or the spiciest thing in the world to you because it's ice cream. That's kind of how I felt here is like, the moments they weren't they were unexpected so they were more effective and then they were just like very visceral in like a well, in a deeply psychological way it also kind of like like it it, it got to me it, it it was a movie that took me back to a time in my life um cuz you know i was like a weird lonely little kid too who used to like have like yeah. anxiety dreams and like draw stupid shit and you know, didn't really get along with anyone at school. And it's like, this movie made me feel, and this is going to sound like a, like a riff or like a, like I'm being like a goof, but like this movie made me feel the way that like stuff like, um, can't hardly wait and dazed and confused. And my friend Dahmer made me feel like it makes you feel about a time in your life that you didn't realize, not that you missed, but that you could almost like slip back into feeling the same way without even really thinking about it. Like, I was watching this movie, and all of a sudden, I was like, oh, no, I remember what that's like. You know, like, I remember, like, you know, when I was a little kid, my parents went through kind of a rough patch. And, like, I remember being like, does my dad resent me? You know, like, <laughs> is, 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 is that, like, a thing? And I don't know. It, it just, it was a surprisingly, um, like, full-body nostalgic film, if that makes any sense. Like, it really, it struck a chord, it 
it, it struck a chord in me that like I don't think I'm doing justice trying to explain and you really have to experience it to understand it but once you do experience you'll know it exactly what I'm talking about like it it hits a note of childhood that is very prevalent especially in weirdos like us that you don't really think about until you're like oh yeah that that part of like being a kid like there it is I don't know. Like it just, it, it was, it, it just, it, it touched me in a way that I, you know, it, if, if you had told me five minutes into this movie that I was going to have this reaction to this movie, I would, I would slap you and, 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 and accuse you of besmirching me. But like I, this, this movie is just, it's just a, like a good movie, I guess. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, that's, uh, we're responding to the quality of it to the surprise of it and to the depth of how it really sort of portrays something about childhood that is so real and relatable that you can't help but feel that it's something deep, you know, like maybe the movie isn't that deep, but it's hard for me not to make those connections because it touched something very familiar and very raw in me as I was watching it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll I'll agree to that. I guess that's okay, so I guess it. that's the episode. <laughs> oh, also, it, it's worth pointing out that this was also in the '70s adapted into a six-episode TV series called "Escape into the Escape into Night." If if anyone's interested, I might check it out. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. So, uh, as always, thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to check out more episodes of this podcast and several other great ones, including Liam's own Cinepunks that just put out a new episode, you can head to Cinepunks.com. You can find us on Patreon at www.patreon.com backslash Cinepunks. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at TheHorrorBiz666. Um, as always, check out the Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations website at XLVACX and Essex Coffee Roasters at EssexCoffeeRoasters.com. Uh, and if you're listening on iTunes, remember to rate, review, subscribe, and download, download, download. Uh, I want to thank I want to thank our friend Jacob for producing this. Thank you, Jacob. I mean, he's more the editor, but yes. Yeah. I I feel that we don't, I I feel that I don't thank him enough. Yeah. I've said that I've said before on Cinebunks and I'll say it on here too. We need to have an ad. That's just solely Jacob being like, I'm the man who puts together the podcast that you love. Love me. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to start telling people who want videos made little, little, little snippets. Like, Check out the homie Jacob. He's a good yeah, dude. Yeah, he's been doing some great video work for us. The promo videos have been killer. I think we we eventually want to start doing video stuff for our YouTube. Um, and if you are someone who has an idea uh, for something you want to do with video and you'd like to work with an experienced video editor, and yeah, especially if you want to do it for Cinepunks, hit us up because uh, I know... Uh, I know Jacob is good to work with, and uh, we're just looking for things we want to do in a, in a video essay format. Cool. So until next time. Um, oh, also, also, I want to say this because we're we're now we are recording this on December 9th. We're coming up on uh, end of the year, so get your get your top fifteen, your top ten, your top twenty. Send them to us on one of those social media sites. Because we're going to be doing an oh, episode yeah, and we want to hear from you guys. So until next time, the owls are not what they seem. <laughs> I like that.
Good night. Do you scan the night sky in search of unidentified aerial phenomena? Do you lose sleep over strange projects funded by the CIA? Ever wonder which orifices ectoplasm comes out of? Come explore the unexplained and unexplainable with us on our podcast, Weird, Obscure, and Possibly Unsafe. We'll talk about telepomancy, haunted railroads, sentient umbrella spirits, mind-altering video games, remote viewing, SpongeBob conspiracy theories, and only gets weirder from there. Each episode will share three stories about all the weird things they tell you not to believe. Weird, obscure, and possibly unsafe. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. Hey! Hey. Don't talk, just listen. Dispatches on the Cinepunks Podcast Network.